tired of the Sam stories yet? <laughs> no, not really. Well, I am uh, going to continue your anger of police today. Oh, fantastic. I'm on a trend. I've, I've noticed that when I have a couple episodes back to back, have you noticed that there's kind of a like likeliness to my episodes yeah i apparently get on rampages and stick with a theme (laughs) and we're gonna continue that this week well it's almost like when you google something and start researching something there's multiple cases of similarities like you just said that that come up that you're Mm. like oh that's interesting oh that's interesting oh that's intriguing yeah yeah so we're gonna continue that trend today but first uh, i think we should give a little tracy sam story time about just last night oh god Let's get let's get Tracy real riled before we start this, <laughs> so that we get um, her her fun audio of pissed offedness. Of pissed offedness is that a word? <laughs> no, but I made it one. Nice. Enter like to it. the dic- dictionary. <laughs> I like it. So uh, go ahead, my dear. Uh, so I got called out last night. So I I still work in in the mental health field, doing um, a lot of field emergency crisis crisis intervention intervention stuff and last night I get called out for a 360 pound six foot three male schizophrenic off of his medicine suicidal covered in blood at the parking lot of a local grocery store I get called out I am at home, not dressed, not like just chilling, whatever. I get the call. Like nine o'clock at night. Which, which, when these calls come in, it's like you've you've got to get there as quickly as you can. Like every second matters in these cases. I'm thinking law enforcement's going to be there. There's going to be some sort of order and some sort of of some Protocol? sort of or yeah, some sort of order to this. And and let me just say, our police department generally handles calls really well. Mm-hmm. There's there is great camaraderie, whatever that word is, between mental health and law enforcement in our town. And usually, usually, depending on the officers, it it works really well, and we're fairly successful at it. I don't know what the hell happened last night. Okay, I am in my forties. I am. 140 pounds I am and this guy like I just gave a description of him like if he wanted to fuck my world up he could right very easily and when you have the diagnosis of schizophrenia and you're off your meds very very unpredictable behavior he's covered in blood which signifies that something has happened whatever anyway I show up there Samantha cops leave they just literally they're there for two and a half minutes and then they were like okay we're gonna go to the place where the situation occurred where he you know punched out windows and doors and tvs and whatever they all walk to their vehicles and drive away it's 11 o'clock at night it's dark no one else is around and law enforcement leaves me there now I'm a trained professional. Thank God I know what I'm doing. Right. And I have some sort of trusting relationship with this relationship man. with this person. And it isn't a complete stranger that's like, who's this blonde chick that's here? You know, you know what I mean? Right. Because 
that could have been a very, very, very dangerous situation that they put me in. Yeah. That they put me in. I was there to help them. Right. That wasn't, that was, I mean, and they just left. Cute. So me and the chief of police are going to have a conversation this morning about protocol. Um, yeah, because that if we need two officers at night to go to a traffic stop, but we can leave you a mental health provider alone in the dark on the side of a building. Right. Right. But the two male cops need backup. Right. For literally traffic stops. If you get pulled over after dark, it is always two officers for safety protocol. And it is mental health protocol that we are not allowed or permitted to carry weapons or any tool that can be used for our self-defense whatsoever. So, and everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. So, so yeah, I'm, I was not impressed, not happy. Um, was I scared? You bet your ass I was. Did that affect my ability to do my job? Yeah, if I'm focused on my safety and I'm focused on his movements and his whatever, I cannot effectively do my job. And watching for triggers and watching for... Which also, he was probably triggered by the police even arriving and then they just leave. And then they just leave. Because he's scared, he just caused... Okay, okay, but they didn't just leave. They said, we're going over to where the incident occurred to investigate it. So in his mind, and he was even saying this, they're going to come back and arrest me, aren't they? And I am the only thing between him and potential freedom. They 100% put my life in danger last night. 100%. And I am so grateful that, and we talk about resources and we talk about we talk about this a lot and being prepared. I am so grateful that on the side I have done the training and the the things that I need to do in order to keep myself safe, myself safe. Because right, so you can't depend on anybody else. Be, right. Which is sad. Which is, that's their job. Yep. And I, again, I was there to assist them. Mm-hmm. They were not, I didn't call them. I didn't ask them, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I'm. So you're already riled. Well, I'm. Yeah. So let's. I'm not. I mean, I am. I'm going to talk to the chief of police today, yeah. and I'm. I'm going to tell him if you guys can't do your jobs and you can't whatever, next time I will leave. Right. I will leave. Yeah, because had this been any other situation, like you said, you already have a relationship with with this gentleman. Yeah. So that's. I mean, the difference. Right. Had this been a call from the hospital, which I know you get often for situations to come in as a resource mm-hmm. that you don't know that you're meeting for the first time, that could have gone a million different ways. Right. We're not in a controlled environment. I mean, and it We're could not... have gone with him too, even with having a relationship. It, uh, it could have. It, it and the and the fact that it didn't literally was an act of God. Mm-hmm. Literally. Yeah. And I mean, it did. It ended. It ended the best possible way that it could have, but. Yeah, I, I won't do that. I will not do that. Regardless, uh, I will not do that. I am a single mom. You I have, have children lying on you. You have right. people that need you. Right. And I mean, I'm not saying that he, did, he didn't either. Because like I said, the situation resolved itself in the best case scenario. It was, it was a positive outcome. 
But, and you know, the thing is, is that when the cops came back, they, they came back, they went, they, they investigated the situation, whatever. Then they came back, talked to us again. I went up to one of the police officers and I asked him, please don't leave me here by myself, whatever. He, you know, made some offers to the gentleman. He declined to take the officer up on him. He left again. <laughs> so, <clears throat> I don't know. Cute. It's really cute. I I was not impressed. And generally, generally the situation is better with our law enforcement. Our 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 law enforcement is usually they usually do better. Yeah. But I will not I will not be taking another call from them if they can't get it together. If they if they can't ensure my safety. Mm-hmm. Because my safety is important too. Like it comes back to two officers for traffic stops. But why can't they have your back? Right. They right. I have theirs. Why can't they have right? So 100%. So I'm I'm already a little well, You're going to bring me a cop case, aren't you? Dun dun dun. Aren't you? I am. Fantastic. Okay, so then let's go ahead and preface this with I do not hate cops. <laughs> There's I don't I don't hate cops. I think that law enforcement has a, a purpose. Hard, hard they job. do far more good than they do bad. Unfortunately, in most cases, no, they do. There's, I mean, millions of interactions every day that are positive, that are good, that are that are done well. There's a lot, you know, a lot. I think it's hard because you know <clears throat> we're in this society where we we always hear about the bad things that officers do. Yeah, which. I agree that there, but it's like any situation. There could be a million great Caucasian people that we hear about the really crappy people, what the yep. things. There could be a million really, really fantastic African American people. We only hear the bad. Yeah. We don't hear the good. And it's like that with police. And there are some bad eggs in the, in the carton sometimes. Yes. And I won't put that... Yeah, the there's things. a million interactions every single day that are flawless and positive. There's a lot of cops that do a lot of really amazing things. But there's also the people that shouldn't probably be that officers that have big egos that probably should not be in that profession. That take advantage of their position of and power, their power. That Yeah, absolutely. A lot. Mm-hmm. So... I'm Samantha. I'm Tracy. This is the suspended sentence. Today... I am going to be talking about Gerald John Schaefer Jr. Okay. He is known as the cop killer or the hangman. Mm, so, I don't know this case. Surprise! Shocking. Here we <laughs> go. So he was born March 26, 1946 and is a American murderer and suspected serial killer. Suspected. Yep. He is suspected of up to 26 murders. Okay. So Schaefer became known as the cop killer as he was a sheriff's deputy for the Martin County in Martin County, Florida. Uh, at the time of his initial Why arrest, Why is it always Florida? <laughs> he also became known as the hangman due to his favorite practice um, for committing murders. He hung them? Yep. Ugh. So, Gerald Schaefer was born in Wisconsin and was the first of three children to Gerald John and Doris Marie Schaefer. His father was a traveling salesman and his mother a housewife. 
He was raised in Nashville, Tennessee, and then later they moved to Atlanta, Georgia, until the family permanently relocated to Fort Lauderdale, Florida in 1960. Schaefer later described his childhood as troubled, largely due to the frequent um, family relocations, his father's alcoholism, and his father's frequent verbal abuse of his wife and children. Although Schaefer's father's occupation resulted in him being frequently absent from the household, he had a difficult relationship with his children. That was part of, like I said, he's an alcoholic and he is a traveling salesman. Mm -hmm. But Schaefer was very close with his mother, who was, in his opinion, extremely protective of her, her kids. Okay. As a child, Schaefer preferred the outdoors. He developed an, in, um, an interest in nature, and his primary interest as a teenager included collecting guns, hunting, and fishing, activities that his father occasionally would do with him when he was home. Okay. Although hardly a classic loner, classmates recall him as, quote, not being part of any clique. He frequently pursued his interests alone, uh, leading his family and peers alike to view him as a outdoors man. That's what he wanted to be known as, is that he was outdoorsy. Okay. He had aspirations to become a park ranger when he grew up. Ah, park rangers! <laughs> By his teenage years, Schaefer developed um, erotic fantasies of hurting women, whom he deemed worthy of his contentment. Ah, oh, where does that come from? Please refer to our Toy Box Killer episode where Tracy goes into the correlation between abuse and power and sex. So these fantasies gradually evolved into a um, nice little sadomasochism. I'm going to say it wrong now. Sadomasochism? Sadomasochism. Oh. oh, we did it so good <laughs> in our last episode. Um, he was a sadist. A sexual sadist. Um, enjoying bondage and derieving pleasure from inflicting pain upon himself as well as women. Oh, upon himself. Okay, now, <coughs> the BDSM community are not sadists. No. That is cons- Biggest it's, thing, consent. It's consent. So, and they get, they get pretty... I don't want to say riled up because they're not, but there is a distinction. And they don't want to be associated with people like this. No. Sexual sadism and the BDSM community, I can't even, they are not the same thing. And you just said it. It's consent. That is the biggest thing. And when one person taps out, it's done. Yeah. That code word is thrown out, (laughs) that safe word, it's, that's the end of it. Right. So he occasionally liked to wear women's underwear. And he would also wear the underwear around his neck until he achieved orgasm via autoerotic asphyxiation. Ugh. Okay. So here's the hanging thing for you. Typically, these um, rituals involved Schaefer tying himself to a tree in rural locations. And these fantasies would increase in terms of frequency and intensity with time, gradually dominating most of the time that he was awake. He thought about it all the time. Oh. So Schaefer also became a peeping Tom in his mid-teens teens, and was known to have developed the habit of cross-dressing. Although he dated in his high school years, several female classmates viewed him with a lot of disdain. One former classmate, Barbara, I'm going to say her last name wrong, wrong Krolik, later reluctant, quote, I cannot remember him being friends with any of the guys. 
He was always on the outside looking in. As a matter of fact, the only thing I really remember is that I always had to tuck my skirt under my legs because Schaefer would practically stand on his head to look up girls' skirts. Mm. As a teenager. So Schaefer was considered a promising student by his teachers, and his records revealed that he um, was a member of the varsity football team during his sophomore and junior years. He is known to have um, also been an excellent golfer and graduated high school in June of 1964 and briefly worked as a fishing guide in the Everglades before enrolling at Broward Community College. Schaefer initially enrolled as a social studies major at Broward Community College in September of 1964 before switching his focus to teaching. Oh, great. Fantastic, right? In which he achieved average grades. Upon completion of his sophomore year at Broward, he applied for and was accepted a scholarship at Florida Atlantic University, also known as FAU where he began his studies in 1968 with aspirations to obtain his Bachelor of Arts in Education. In December of 1968, Schaefer would marry his fiancée, Martha, also known as Marty Lewis Fogg, a fellow FAU student, and two years his junior, whom he had met at Broward. The couple then rented a property at Southwest 22nd Street in Fort Lauderdale. Although their relationship soon soured, both um, both due to Schaefer's incessant demands for sex and him spending much of his free time hunting, the two would divorce in May, on May 2, 1970, his wife citing Schaefer's extreme cruelty as the reason for their separation. Shortly thereafter, Schaefer um, formed a brief relationship with a physically disabled woman he had encountered at the Fort Lauderdale Mental Health Clinic, though the couple would soon separate. In March of 1969, Schaefer successfully applied for a student teaching internship at Plantation High School. He began this position on September 23rd, primarily teaching geography, but was fired on November 7th for refusing to accept the advice of superiors and continually attempting to impose his own moral or political opinions upon his students, which led to the school receiving numerous complaints from parents. Hmm. Shortly after, Schaefer unsuccessfully applied as a, for a student teacher position at Boca Raton Community High School. Four months later, in March of 1970, he was successfully applied for another teaching inter- internship. This application was accepted, and he began teaching geography at Strahatton High School on April, uh, April 2nd. Reports indicate Schaefer performed poorly at Strahatton High, with his superiors noting that he had an arrogance and was very limited knowledge on the subject that he was teaching. Interesting. So seven weeks after Schaefer com- um, concluded his teaching position, the, uh, the high school informed him that they had withdrawn his like credits to be able to be a teacher. They were like, you've been kicked out of two programs. Like You can't teach You anymore. can't teach. You... Good. Too much. So after that termination, he vacationed in Europe and North Africa before returning back to Florida, where he briefly worked as a security guard as he pondered his next career move. (laughs) September 1st, 1970, Schaefer applied for a vacancy within the Winston Manors Police Department. He failed to disclose the fact that he had twice been fired from teaching students over the previous last year and instead falsified falsely claimed to have acquired two years of experience as a research assistant at, at FAU. Did never even put that he was a teacher. Was okay. like, I was doing, I've been doing research, man. 
and that he had recently moved to the U.S. from Morocco. He had never been to Morocco. And they didn't verify that? Nope. They're the police. Schaefer's police. They're the police. <laughs> Schaefer's they don't. They, what? They're the police. Schaefer's previous work history was never verified. And he was formally inducted into the Broward County Police Department on, in September of 1971, graduating as a parole, patrolman by the end of his 25th year. Fantastic. So he's 25. Off to a great start. <clears throat> So in January of 1971, seven months... I mean, why would we do background checks on potential law enforcement officers? <laughs> and that seems silly. That's, that seems like a violation of privacy. What a silly goose. Uh, so seven months <laughs> before Schaefer began his career as a police officer, he met a 19-year-old secretary named Teresa Dean, who, while he was still working as a security guard, and the two soon became engaged and married in Fort Lauderdale on September 11th of that year. According to Schaefer, his second marriage was very much more harmonious than his first, and his second wife was willingly willingly participated in his frequent demands for sex and also shared a passion for fishing. Aww. They just got along great. Great. So Schaefer's tenure, uh, tenure with the Winston Manors police only lasted six months. Although he earned a commendation for his, from his superiors on one occasion related to the conduct during a drug house raid in March of 92, his general per- performance was poor. So he was dismissed. I wonder what that means. <laughs> <coughs> I, I wonder, uh, what, is, what does that mean? Please, please define elaborate. for us, law enforcement officers, what poor behavior or conduct means. Yeah, poor performance here. So he was dismissed from his position when his supervisors um, discovered his habit of stopping cars driven by female drivers where he would then get their license plate number, look it up in the database to re- uh, to get further personal information, and then after he left work, would call them and ask them out for dates. Oh, that's illegal? Apparently. That. Oh. Apparently that's not a thing that you're supposed to use, you know, their driver's license. And oh, I know lots for. of cops that do that. It's not wild. So shortly... <laughs> so do you. So shortly before this dismissal, <laughs> Schaefer had begun searching for a better-paying law enforcement position elsewhere, and he began his service as a deputy for the Martin County Sheriff's Department on June 23, 1972. Having forged a letter of recommendation from the Wilston Manners in Dorset... forged a letter of recommendation... From the previous okay. police department. Um, so, so, so we're not even going to call our brothers in blue and verify... Okay. But they did do a background check, and there was no criminal behavior, so Sweet. it's fine. Cool. But we're not going <laughs> to... Okay. So let's just remember, he, he just started this job June 23rd of this year. On the afternoon of July 21st, 1972, so same year, a month after getting this job. Not even a whole month. Schaefer encounters two teenage hitchhikers named Nancy Ellen Trotter, who was 18, and Paula Sue Wells, who was 17, while he's on duty as an officer. He drove the pair to their intended destination of Stuart, although he cautioned the girls against hitchhiking. Upon learning neither of the girls were native to Florida and that the two intended to travel to Jensen Beach the following day, Schaefer proposed that he would drive them because it would be safer for them. The girls accepted his offer. What a nice guy. Because he's, he's a police a officer. If you're right. going to hitchhike. <clears throat> he's genuinely concerned about their well-being. Right. He uh, tells them that he will meet them at the bandstand on East Ocean Boulevard at 9.15 the following morning. The next day, Schaefer arrives at the bandstand at the prearranged time, and on this occasion, he is not wearing his uniform. He is driving his, and driving his own vehicle. 
but he told Trotter and Wells that he's still on duty. He has just switched to plain clothes because he's doing undercover duties. Thus, he's driving an unmarked vehicle. Oh. Shortly after the girls... But in his undercover whatever, he's going to drive them to where they need Uh to go. Because he's just a stand-up guy. Right. Caring about the Serve and protect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's taking it very seriously. I think that his performance (laughs) is outstanding, not poor. I don't know what that sergeant was talking about. Seriously, though. Well, shortly after the girls enter the vehicle, Schaefer kind of deviates from their intended route. No. Does that surprise you? Are you surprised? And he tells them, you know, girls... He probably just wants to get them ice cream or something. No, there's this really cold old Spanish fort that, like, they have to see. If this is the first time in Florida, they have to see this old Spanish fort. Oh, yes, they must. Must. So, in route, he then again starts lecturing the girls about accepting rights from random strangers. And that... Quote, they're about to be sold into white slavery if they don't get it together. Before stopping the vehicle close to the dilapidated shed deep in a remote forest, he handcuffs and gags both girls. This escalated quickly. I know you're all very surprised. You didn't see this coming, right? No, not at all. So he took one victim to a large cypress tree close to the Indian River, ties her legs to the trunk just below her knees, before binding a noose around her neck, which... He then ties to a branch in such a manner that it puts pressure on her neck without, like, hanging her yet because she's standing on the branch below. Schaefer then takes the other victim to another tree a short distance away where she, too, is bound in a similar manner in which she is forced to stand upon a narrow exposed tree rope as a makeshift slooping, like, counter of the noose. I don't know if that's described. It's tight enough to hold her head up that if she moves at all, it will hang you, but without hanging you he then informs them that they are both about to be raped and murdered so at that moment schaefer receives an urgent radio dispatch informing him that he immediately needs to report to the station he leaves both girls bound and standing on their on their um, purchase purchase yeah vowing that they um he will be back very soon and says i gotta go and if you try to move I'm going to kill you, and I'm not going very far down the road, so don't even try to escape, because I'm going to be right back. Well, when Schaefer returned to the forest approximately hours later, he discovers that both girls had escaped. He immediately returned home and called his station, where he informed Sheriff Robert Crowder, quote, I've done something very foolish, and you're probably going to be mad at me. Oh. Schaefer then proceeds to explain that he had decided to teach two girls a lesson about the risks of hitchhiking, but he may have overdid the job. He then proceeds to explain that he had abandoned the two girls in a general swampland area in Hutchlands, on Hutchinson's Island, not far from the Indian River. Crowder and Lieutenant Melvin Walden immediately proceeded to Florida State Road A1A, where close by the highway they discover a desperate, partially gagged teenage girl with her hands pinned behind her back, swimming in a flutter kick on her back through the river. Oh my god. As the officer slowed to a halt, they observed the very distraught girl clamor, uh, clamor out of the river bank, with sections of her jeans and blouse shredded from attempting to get their attention. Upon removing the gag from the girl's mouth, the officer heard her identify herself as Nancy, and then Splutter started seeing that her friend was somewhere in the forest. To Trotter's relief, she, he was in, she was informed that a truck driver had discovered Wells um, trying to get through the woodlands, and he had taken her to the police station 45 minutes earlier. 
Is that true? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Trotter was driven to the station where she and Wells um, recounted the ordeal to Crowder. Both girls stated that they had managed to escape from their bindings by writhing against their restraints and loosening the gags with their teeth as they maintained their balance on the exposed roots so that they didn't hang themselves. Mm-hmm. Smart girls. Mm-hmm. So obviously this took a considerable oh, amount of time. Oh, smart girls. <sighs> smart act for some really silly girls. Really reckless. Yeah. Um, so obviously getting out of these restraints took a considerable amount of time. And they had been aware that had they slipped, they would have hung themselves. Yeah. So they were careful to take their time with this. So both girls provided a detailed description of their assailant and his vehicle before formally identifying Schaefer as the individual responsible for this entire ordeal. Although Schaefer repeated his um, innocence and that he was simply just overreacted in his efforts to demonstrate the dangers of hitchhiking to two young women, the story was not believed. Surprise. Right. He's just a great guy. He's just (laughs) teaching women the dangers of hitchhiking. So he was immediately dismissed from the force and placed under arrest, with Crowder instructing his officers to file charges of false imprisonment and aggravated assault against him immediately. Good. So approximately two weeks after his arrest, Schaefer posted his $15,000 bail, which he then was able to await his November 1972 trial from home. He returned to the house where he and his second wife rented in Stuart, and his wife and in-laws noted no change in his demeanor and believed his claim that he was simply just trying to teach the hitchhikers a lesson. Now, on September 27th, 1972, um, two other girls were abducted. Susan Carol Pace, 17, and Georgia Marie Gessup, 16. The two had encountered Schaefer while the three attended an adult education, uh, attended an adult education center in Fort Lauderdale. Schaefer, though, introduced himself to the girl as Jerry Shippard. On the afternoon of the disappearance, Place's mother, Lucille, arrived home to find her daughter straightening up her room as Jessup sat on a chair in the bedroom and both introduced Lucille to a man in his 20s who they referred to as Jerry um, and said that Jerry had intended to travel to Fort Lauderdale to go to the beach and play guitar. Although Place's mother seemed suspicious of Jerry, he assured that his attentions were notable. Nonetheless, she noted the number on his 1969 Datsman's son, Datsman's son, mm-hmm. And Place confirmed uh, her mother's suspicion that she intended to leave home, although she was fearful that something was going to go wrong because she didn't trust this guy. Her daughter said, we're just going to be gone for a little while, and that she would remain in contact with her mother. The girls left Place's household with Schaefer at approximately 8.45 p.m. <coughs> and when Place did not return home four days later, Lucille first, con- first contacted Jessup's mother, Shirley, only to learn that her daughter had, quote, run away four days earlier. She said, likewise, that she had not heard from either girl since. And both- four days. How, how often, how frequent does your child have to run away for them to be gone four days without you being like... Huh, my 16-year-old girl's daughter's been gone for four days. If I can't get a hold of my kid for six minutes, search and rescue is looking for her ass. <laughs> Seriously. Like, come on. Parents require something of yourselves. Mm-hmm. Do you agree? Oh, I agree. Well, 
they, after talking to each other and realizing both girls were gone, they called the police. They were like, okay, that's... Oh, it's been almost five days. Maybe we'll notify law enforcement. Right. Good job, moms. So Lucille provided investigators with the vehicle registration that she had noticed, um, that she had kept track of because she wrote down his license plate information. And an additional, in addition to a physical description of the man that the girls had left with, the registration was traced to an entirely separate model of vehicle belonging to a St. Um, Petersburg resident who did not resemble Jerry Shepard. And, and who had a firm alibi for the date of the girl's disappearance. The sole Jerry Shepard registered in living in Fort Lauderdale was also eliminated from police inquiries by early 19, 1973, and the teenager's disappearance had largely became a cold case. So in December, all while he's awaiting trial. Yeah. Awesome. So now we're back to, he's, they have no idea that Shep, he's tied to this yet. Mm-hmm. So in December, Schaefer, uh, Schaefer appeared in court in relation to the, the girls that had got away, yeah. Schaefer, uh, Trotter and Wells. Due to a plea bargain with his attorney that he had strongly been recommended to accept, Schaefer was able to plead guilty of just one charge of aggravated assault in which he received a sentence of one year in jail with a possibility of parole after six months. Huh. Upon um, passing his sentence in, in December of 22, uh, December 22, Judge D.C. Smith told Schaefer, quote, it is beyond the court's imagination to convince how you were such a foolish and, foolish and astronomic jackass as you were in this case. <laughs> you cannot <laughs> speak to people like that these days. <laughs> it's funny back then, isn't it? So he <coughs> went ahead and allowed Schaefer's formal sentencing to be postponed until after the holidays. And Schaefer began serving his sentence in um, county jail on January 15th of 1973. Okay. You can have the holidays at home. It's fine. You're just a jackass. It's okay. You can go home. Well, you're just a jackass. You weren't actually trying to kill them. When he left on December uh, 22nd, Schaefer informed several reporters, quote, I made a stupid mistake. There was no sex involved and no one was hurt. But on the afternoon. Because they were smarter than you. That's the only reason that nobody was hurt. Right. But whatever. So on the afternoon of April 1st, a father and son searching for discarded aluminum cans discovered, um, decomposing remains of two individuals scattered within a hole along the Port St. Lucia in Florida. The location of this grave was 212 feet from the nearest dirt road, and the grave itself was only two feet, three inches deep. Deep scratch marks were evident on the base of a tree nearby the grave site and close to um, they had been dismembered. So there was oh. a torso in one spot and oh, other things in another spot. One victim wore the remnants of blue jeans and embod and, 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 oh my gosh, embezzled? Not embezzled. Embroidered embroidery. Embroidered. Oh my goodness, words. In a circular emblem of the roadrunner. Whereas the other was completely nude, and the pile of clothing belonged to the deceased was discovered nearby. Sections of um, both bodies had evidently been um, scattered by wildlife at that point because it was a very mm-hmm. shallow grave and the location of this discovery was approximately six miles from where trotter and wells had been held captive interesting both girls <clears throat> had been found um, had been bound and murdered with their spinal cords severed and their lumbar lumbar and cervical section um, completely shattered oh my god 
Um, it looks like these were shattered by a knife or a machete, and their bodies had been completely decapita um, decapitated after death, and their jawbones had significant fractures. One set of remains, letter identified as place, had also sustained a gunshot wound to her lower jaw consistent with a 22 caliber pistol. The bodies were taken to Dade County Medical Examiner, um, where Dr. Richard Solverin formally identified the victims as Place and Jessup on April 5th. Shortly thereafter, Schaefer was informed of their identifications. He immediately requested a public defender. He heard about it on the news and he was like, yes, yeah, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna need an attorney. So the murders of Place and Jessup had been committed at the time when the Supreme Court in Florida had declared capital punishment as unconstitutional and prosecutors sought life imprisonment for Schaefer. Um, Schaefer pleaded not guilty to the charges against him and frequently conveyed a distant demeanor throughout the entire official proceedings, often stating coldly uh, or staring coldly at prosecution witnesses as they testified because, like, her mom met him. Yeah. And so he just would stare him down during court. Mm-hmm. Uh, or turning and smiling at members of the press while witnesses testified on... Testified. Jesus. He's gross. During closing arguments, the jury began their deliberations at 3.45 p.m. They deliberated for five hours and ten minutes before returning with two verdicts of first-degree murder, which Judge Towbridge formally announced to the court at 11.05 p.m. Upon a receipt of the verdict, Schaefer proclaimed his innocence, stating to the reporters, quote, It's the roll of the dice. If you, I had a good defense, and I'm innocent. <laughs> Closing arguments determined the sentence of Schaefer should be received on October 3rd and saw the defense argue he had um, been, ha should be involuntarily institutionalized under the 1971 Barker Act. So he wanted to go to yeah, a mental, mental health facility. Yeah. I wonder why. Right. Because we know police don't usually do very well in jail. And crimes against children don't usually do very well in jail. <laughs> you got a double whammy there, buddy. Yeah. Well. Well, and didn't you say, didn't it say that in the beginning, like, he had a girlfriend that he meant in a mental health hospital? Yeah. So, I mean, he can still do what he's doing also. Right. Well, um, Schaefer proclaimed his innocence once again and once again asked to be sent to a psychiatric hospital in a po opposing prison they said no you're going to prison yeah you're yeah you're pretending yeah so place's mother expressed her satisfaction with um, schaefer's sentence of life imprisonment as opposed to him receiving the death penalty and she said to reporters quote at first i thought that i would like to see him dead but i think people suffer more with confinement death is an easy way out just as long as he's never on the our streets again i'm happy yeah but on december 3rd no 1995 Schaefer was brutally stabbed to death on the floor of his cell. Oh. He had been stabbed over 45 times in his face, neck, head, and body, with his throat also being slashed and his right eye completely destroyed. He also had several ribs fractured, and his body was discovered by a fellow inmate who informed the staff of his death. Oh. So according to police officials and prosecutors, a 32-year-old fellow inmate named Vincent Rivera had killed Schaefer following an argument over who received a final cup of hot water from a dispenser days prior to his murder. Rivera was convicted of Schaefer's murder in 1999 
and he received 53 years and 10 months imprisonment added to his sent hit added to his life sentence that he already had for a double homicide in Tampa in 1990. Rivera never confessed to the crime nor gave any motive for his murder, but it is suspected that Schaefer was killed from a prison informant. As in the year prior to his murder, other inmates had repeatedly thrown human waste at him and twice set his shell cell on fire. Wow. Reportedly, Schaefer's classification as an officer confirmed that he was murdered in a direct response to his leaking confidential information to authorities, as well as well-respected and powerful inmates. Hmm. So upon Schaefer's hearing Schaefer's death, the mother of one of his victims, Georgia Gessup, informed the media that she considered Schaefer's um, own murder in a case an overdue justice. She stated, quote, I've always believed he was going to get this. I just wish it had been sooner rather than later. The judge who had given had presided over his murder trial, Cyprus, or Cyrus Chowbridge, remarked, quote, he finally got the death sentence that he ultimately deserved, but I just couldn't give him. Oof. <clears throat> and that, my friends, is Gerald John Schaefer. So they say that he probably killed up to 26 women and that he was probably getting that information from the stops. Oh. So they just, those are the ones that they can pin on him. Oh. Because he spoke to this woman's mother. Well, and I was, I was like, because I was wondering about the other victims. He, uh, that's, uh, that's why they say he's an American murderer, suspected serial killer. Suspected, because they don't know. And I wonder if, I mean, other than the fact that he was with the girls, you know, before and at their mother's house, I wonder if they had any evidence. Well, I think it's also interesting that it's very close to where... Oh, you bet, but all of that is circumstantial. Right. I mean, in a court of law... Right. It's really his actions and his behavior that... I think it's funny that he hears on the news that they've been identified... And then goes and gets a public defender. And then says, I'm I'm innocent. I'm going to need a lawyer. But then goes, I'm innocent. Right. Innocent people don't... Yeah. So what do you think? I want to know your take on this. Do you think it is... More of a punishment for life imprisonment or death penalty? Oh, man. Or brutally being stabbed to death in your jail cell. Uh, you know, this is, this is really a hard... Um, I don't have a conviction on this. Nice word choice, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to do an episode on the death penalty versus... And I'm writing it and researching it right now because I, I don't... I am not God. And I know, you know, there's this huge argument of an eye for an eye and I don't I don't necessarily believe that an eye for an eye means every man to make the distinction between an eye for an eye because we don't understand the motivation, the why. We don't we don't understand there's two sides to every story, and no matter how flat a pancake is, there's always two sides, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't do I think that it's it's fair that do I think that it's right, okay, that he got stabbed to death in a prison cell? No. Do I believe life in prison is more of a punishment than the death penalty? No. Do I could I ever convict somebody? Could I ever sit on a jury and and 
convict somebody or order somebody to death? No. Again, because I am not God and I don't believe that that's my call. However, prison has a system. It is an, it, there is an organization in prison and it is different than what we know on the outside world. It is, it's different. Mm-hmm. Cops, people who have worked in law enforcement, people who have been probation officers, people who have been senators, legislators, cannot go into general population. They can't. They're, it will be dangerous for them. Same with child molesters. And there's, there's an organization in there. And just like, and I've said this before, just like in war or anything else, there are rules. Organized crime, anything, there are rules. Mm-hmm. And the number one rule, clear across the board, women and children. Well, I find it interesting that both of the the mothers had different viewpoints. One mother was like, mm-hmm. I don't think, I think more of a punishment is that to stay in jail forever. Mm-hmm. And then the other mother was like, no, this was overdue that he is dead. Yeah. But also, I don't know what my opinion, I could have an opinion right now and then my child be murdered and have a completely different opinion. Absolutely. That hatred breeds and that heartbreak breeds something different. Absolutely, 100%. The only time it kind of bothers me is when murder victims' families, like if somebody comes up for parole or a resentencing hearing, going in and you have to keep for that person to serve their time. I think that's where, to me, that gets hard. For when people just are in jail for crimes like that. You know what I mean? Like oh, these yeah. families like every five, ten years have to go in for a parole meeting and be like relive it over and over and over I again. I agree with that. I agree. I completely agree. And and their voices should be stronger than any other voice. And I don't want it to sound like Samantha that I'm sympathetic to people who do things like this because I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I just think I just think that by making a broad blanket statement that this is how I feel about this mm-hmm. is unfair and it's just not accurate because I have been in the game long enough to know that there's a story behind everything and I am also have been in the game long enough to know how much is done wrong and how many people are convicted and tried and prosecuted <clears throat> and found guilty and and been innocent. Right. So I know the flaws. And so for me to just make a blanket blanket statement, you know, and, and even in this case, I feel like it was really vague information. Like it's very, very difficult to get information. How are they saying that there's 26 other, why is he a suspected serial killer? Mm-hmm. You know, like what are the ties? Just like they just take, and maybe, maybe this is the way that their system works, right? And I don't know, I'm asking, maybe this system works like, Every crime that has, every unsolved crime that has this list of criteria of similarities could possibly be linked to this person. Right. I don't know. But what, why, why are they saying that? Right. Well, and it also kind of makes you, makes me specifically angry. Like there's a lot of cases that I want to cover because I feel like there's, like we've said a million times, every person, every victim story is important. Yeah. It's important to be heard. But also, why is it only high profile or things that we get can, are able to get lots of information for? 
because we're desensitized. That's why we got to have the good ones. We don't want the the little ones with no. I, I've talked about this in in our That's last crap. episode. It is. I agree with that. But I mean, we're desensitized. Our our that's just what we are. Like we got. I mean, you get the gist of what happened here. I do, but, but also, but also, do I think that he did it? Yes. But where is the evidence? Right. I mean, you have shady behavior that he has. You have suspicious behavior. But where is the undisputable evidence? There isn't any. Yeah. Except for the two girls that got away. I mean, not any that I heard. Mm-hmm. It was like, so for you to say, or for anybody to say, he deserves to be stabbed and da 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 da. I don't know. Does he? There wasn't evidence that w- that I know of. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe there was, but it wasn't presented. So well, and I don't think it sounds like he was stabbed like that because of his crimes it sounds like it goes back to your alcatraz episode Mm -hmm. where they were saying that the the children killers and crimes against children Mm -hmm. it wasn't because of what they actually did it was because they were viewed as what weak men or something they're unstable and unpredictable yeah Mm -hmm. where rats and he's been caught being a rat so that's probably why he was and also in addition i mean i don't even really feel like he was a cop long enough to say that he was a cop (laughs) you know what i mean yeah. And and when he was I feel like somebody who was a cop who pretended to be a cop to get access to people to commit crimes would almost be seen as like street cred in the joint. You know what I mean? Like it would almost it would almost come across as like the ultimate con. Yeah, if he wasn't ratting to the police and if ratting to high profile people. Yeah, I'm just saying that that mm-hmm. act alone on the inside would almost be like bro yeah well what do you think about the whole running home to call his chief thing you're gonna be mad at me i think it was manipulative and i think that i think that he knew that he was gonna get caught so he had to be the first one he had to be the first one to tell it's like when kids like hit their siblings and then they're like Oh, wait, 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 but this You're is what happened. you going to be mad. Let me well, try to be the first one to get ahead of it. But that's true also. The first thing you hear is what you're always going to go back to. I mean, there's psychology behind that also. So, yeah, that's true. And, and just like a parent or just like anything, any sort of betrayal on any sort of level, even think about this in our own interpersonal relationships or something. If you hear something about someone who you have trust and faith in from somebody else and you don't hear it from them, the betrayal is worse. Yeah. And people who commit crimes and people who, any sort of crime, whether it's emotional, relationshipal, I mean, whatever, people who do things like that, we they know that. Yeah. Still kind of a wild story. He knew that he was going to get caught and he knew that his story had to be the first one out there. He knew that. Yeah. Still a wild story. It is wild. It is crazy. So... Uh, like we say all the time, let's. I think hitchhiking is not a thing anymore, but let's not do it. Even if an officer offers you... You don't think you, the hitchhiking is a thing anymore? Not to the extent it was in the 70s. Yeah. But, I mean, let's, like, even maybe let's not accept rides from officers even, maybe? Yeah, I don't know. Sketch. I don't know. It's You can't... You If you can't trust a cop, who can you trust? That's why it's the ultimate position of power. Well, and I mean, it worked. It got him to go with him. They trusted, they trusted the man in the uniform. That's ridiculous. All right. Well, thanks for bringing that. 
You're welcome. Maybe we'll try to get on like a different topic other than police and forest rangers next time. Yeah, that'd be great. (laughs) Thanks for being here. Stay safe.